Hello again and welcome to another episode of College Football Down Under. My name is Aaron Kemp and as always I'm joined by Will Murden. How's it going today, Will? Really good, man. Really good. How are you? I am super excited. I am super nervous. It is week one. It's here. We are ready to go. Uh, and I am peaking. I guess all the kind of fluff pieces are gone. All the media news has uh, transitioned from a point where they were talking about coaches and you know preseason stuff and all that. And now it's you know we are diving hard into full-on speculation mode where we're looking at what players are going to start. People are critiquing what the coaches have done in their previous seven years and what play they opened the season with five years ago and what they're going to do, what formations, what play calling is going to look like, how many tackles each outside linebacker weighing over 225 pounds is going to make. And I'm just ready for the games to be here. Yeah, I'm loving it too. There is so much content out there to just absorb. I mean, Most I feel of it's through crap, the... Though. Yeah, who cares? It's something, and there there is stuff to get your teeth into. I mean, crap is when you're in the depths of the off season, and there's literally nothing happening, and they're just making shit up. Where this this is relevant, there are things that are happening that I'm you know interested in. Whether it actually means anything, I don't care. I get a kick <laughs> out of it. All right, fair enough. Now, we have got our first preview show. This is the last show we do before Sunday's games. So we're going to have a quick look at the two-week zero games. We've got our championship draft to get through. Uh, We're going on the punt as well. So that segment is back this year. And I know that Will is super excited to perhaps lose a little bit more money. I know you go far better earlier in the year than what you do later. So this could be a good place for you just to just to get the season really rolling early on. Yeah, let's not go turning our listeners away from the punt section already. I mean, we know last year didn't go to plan and it was disappointing and we ended up <laughs> on the losing end of things. Yes, I'll acknowledge that. That is fact. There is records of that. But I'm confident this year we can turn things around. So... We're turning a new leaf. I've, I've adjusted the formulas a little bit, and I think oh, this, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good. I mean, you are right. The start of the year is normally where I uh, shine, and then it all goes downhill from from there. But this year, I think I'm going to start out strong and then just be able to quit my job because <laughs> I'm making so much money for not only myself but all the listeners out there. I mean, why why is that the case? Because you have always started well going back years and years and years and it all falls in a heap through that middle part of the season. Why is that the case? And perhaps another question for you, why? Uh, sorry, how much did you actually lose last year? That's a good question. I haven't gone back over it. No one likes counting their losses. Uh, so I, I, I know we were down and it was you know somewhat significant in the unit betting. So not a great result for anyone who was playing along at home. But in terms of why I start out strong, I'm not sure. Maybe I just haven't been able to adjust my formulas so that they can keep up with the comings and goings of the rigors of college football. I think I do put a fair bit of stock into you know, statistical analysis in the lead up to, and there's a whole bunch of criteria around recruiting classes and talent that's left the program and all of that sort of stuff I kind of build that in and and I get a really strong starting point to work from and then perhaps after that I I rely too much on the information that I've built up there where it starts to quickly go out the window and in-season factors come into play that I haven't quite been able to bed down. 
Yeah, I think that's actually kind of a, a, a pretty accurate point. I would tend to agree with you, especially as teams become more comfortable or more knowledgeable. They've got more stuff on tape, I suppose, that other teams can game plan against. And all of a sudden, results start becoming a little bit closer or those real unpredictable ones are hard to find. Anyway, we don't want to analyze your losses too much further. And hopefully this year, you know, everyone's at 0-0 at this point, including you. Yeah, so. I'm as impressed as anyone with my, my intelligent answer there. I mean, that, that actually sounded good coming out of my mouth. <laughs> I know, but hopefully the bank account looks a little bit better. Anyway, there's actually, strangely enough, heading into week zero, there's not a lot of news coming out. I think as soon as obviously the first round of games get played, there will be more and more and a lot of it will be over analysis probably. But in terms of some relevant news, about all I've got is the AP poll released not only their All-Americans, and their, uh, but also their top 25 list. Uh, and there's been a few, a little bit of news around starting quarterbacks. So if we start there, and feel free to jump in at any stage here, Will. But yep. uh, Sam Howe was, the freshman was announced at UNC as being the starting guy there for the Tar Heels. Is he a true freshman or a red shirt there? Sam Howe, I believe he is a true freshman, but I would need to double check that. I believe he's a true freshman. Okay. Because uh, they had, uh, who was the guy that is coming back? Who actually played more linebacker than quarterback. Um, and yeah, they had a, an indifferent offense last year under Larry Fedora. So uh, hopefully they'll be looking for good things out of Sam Howe. Jaron Williams gets the start at Miami. And no doubt we will touch on that a little bit more later in the show. Zach Anikstad, who did a fantastic job for Minnesota last year and made them not relevant, but certainly got a couple of big wins, uh, is actually supplanted by Tanner Morgan, mainly due to injury. But Tanner Morgan at the end of last year actually put up better numbers than Zach Anikstad. So he gets the first crack for the Golden Gophers. Blake Barnett, remember that guy? Not really. You don't? Is he Alabama? He was Alabama, transferred to, I can't remember, somewhere else and played hybrid uh, quarterback slash running back. I feel like he has played in college football for a lot of years. So we kept hearing his name as being kind of like the next guy. Anyway, he gets the start at USF. This is his third school. So he's going to get a crack there. Justin Fields officially at Ohio State. That probably wasn't in too much of a question, but they still had to come out and release that one. Yeah, not a huge surprise there. Yeah, exactly. Auburn named Bo Nix, who is a true freshman uh, quarterback, and he looks to be a really talented one, whether they can turn that talent into results. Yeah, you were beating the drum for him in our season preview or season launch episode, should I say? Yeah, well, I mean, beating the drum is a little bit heavy probably, but I think he's certainly super talented and he could actually save Gus Malzahn's job. He could also burn it to the ground. Uh, So it'd be interesting to see how he goes and how that offense looks under him. So I'll actually be keeping a close eye on the Auburn Tigers this year and they might become a little bit of a man crush. We still haven't got our man crush team, so maybe that's something we can touch on or workshop as the episode carries on uh former michigan quarterback brandon peters who transferred uh when shay um when shay patterson came on board 
with the Wolverines. He gets his start for Illinois. West Virginia and Neil Brown's the head coach there. They've named Austin Kendall, who's the Oklahoma transfer, and they're expecting big things out of him. Are you nervous at all about him as a quarterback prospect in the Big 12? Uh, I wouldn't say nervous. I think there's a lot of very solid quarterbacks in the Big 12. I think he has the tools to be uh, a really good and productive quarterback out of West Virginia. I think they're going to struggle a bit this year, though. So not so much this year, uh, perhaps down the line, though, certainly. Okay, interesting. Uh, What about Oklahoma State? So your boys, the Cowpokes, uh, now, they, Mike Gundy still hasn't released his starting quarterback, if he, in fact, he does have one. So they've got Drew Brown, the transfer, and Spencer Sanders. And at this stage, it appears that they're going to run with a two quarterback system. Uh, what are it your thoughts like on that? And, and give me some comments on the fact that, you know, when. When they say you've got two quarterbacks, it means you've got no quarterbacks. You hear that classic kind of football terminology. Uh, is that relevant or you know, will he pick one, do you think? I think to start with, we will see both uh, in, in the early games. And I think it's going to be kind of a, a live opportunity for someone to win the job. So they come up against Oregon State early and then they have a, another softer one after that, I think an FCS school. So through those two games, and no disrespect to Oregon State, but Oklahoma State will be fairly confident going to that one. Through those two, it'll be a bit of an open audition as to who can take the starting job. Now, um, Mike Gundy has run two quarterbacks in the past. You'll have to re-familiarize my, me with the names of those two particular quarterbacks. We had Mason yeah. Rudolph and J.W. Walsh yeah. uh, most recently. So that was they were very contrasting styles, though. So J.W. Walsh was more into run the ball at, out of the quarterback position, where Mason Rudolph was the prototypical passer. But you know, there's his quarterback evaluation has been brought into question at times because you know Mason Rudolph turned out to be a hell of a quarterback, and he's now you know drafted in the NFL and, and has a bright future ahead of him. There's kind of thoughts that he probably should have had that job standalone earlier Uh, and then there's been other situations as well where players like Brandon Whedon didn't start immediately or or wasn't you know put in a position to to win the job when after you've seen them on the field and what's played out they are clearly the more talented option. Interesting so we could have a quarterback controversy and you're not putting a lot of confidence in your head coach there William uh, so do you have a pick personally? I, I like Spencer Sanders purely for the fact that he's the younger guy who you know has that opportunity to play in the role for a couple of years. Uh, Drew Brown was at Hawaii and then transferred and I believe he's now a redshirt senior this year. So you've only got the one year in there. Look, if he's the man for the job and he's the better player, I'm all for it. But I kind of err towards the the younger redshirt freshman because you've got that promise of developing year on year to really build into something special. Okay, let's move on. Let's head up a little bit further north, Wisconsin. Uh, They are still not sure. It looks like it's going to be Jack Cohn as the likely starter in week one. Uh, Graham Mertz is clearly the more talented of the two, but Jack Cohn did finish out the season when Alex Hornibrook uh, you know, was injured and, and didn't play in the games. But 
I don't know. I find that an interesting one on the back of the comments that kind of you've just made around going with the younger guy. Do you take your lumps with someone who's a little bit more talented probably versus someone who maybe has a bit more starting experience but is has certainly got a lower ceiling? It's that difficult one. You in the college at the college football level, you want whoever's going to win the next game, and it's it's kind of balancing that development and giving someone an opportunity, but also not blowing. Uh, a shot to win a game or a season because a season in college football is an eternity. I mean, most guys have only got three or four years of eligibility. So if you are going to kind of waste one, especially early on, uh, you, it's just not an option, especially for those senior lads. You know, ha- imagine being a head coach and having to front up to the seniors and say, yeah, we're, we're going towards a, a youth movement right from the start of the year. And then them kind of knowing that you're tanking on the year so that someone can get some development around them. I think later on in the year, after you've had a few losses, it it opens up a bit and there's a bit more understanding. But from the get-go, you want whoever it's going to be to to get that senior class wins. Okay, cool. And the last one for us is Arkansas still appear to be fractionally unsure between Ben Hicks and the Texas A&M transfer Nick Starkle. Uh, so that'll be an interesting one to watch. Ben Hicks comes across, well, actually both of them are transfers. Ben Hicks comes across from SMU and when Chad Morris was there. So he's familiar with the system, familiar with the coach. Nick Starkle, very talented passer um, and was in a bit of a QB contest last year against Kellen Mond at A&M. So it'd be interesting to see how those two guys go and who gets the start there for a Razorbacks team that's certainly looking to be on the improve and and get a foothold in the SEC. You would hope they would be improving. Uh, well, they can't get much worse. So, Correct. All right, let's have a look at the AP All-Americans, preseason All-Americans. I need to be a little bit careful. They're not All-Americans yet, but preseason All-Americans. Is there anyone that stands out to you, any great shock, uh, anyone that you would like to have a look at specifically? Obviously, your boy Tylan Wallace gets in there from Oklahoma State. There is a great big fat zero Miami players uh, and very little representation from the ACC in general. Yeah, I mean, no huge surprises in it. So those who listen to the season launch episode will be familiar with almost all of these names as these are really the the star guys at each of the positions. Uh, Trevor Lawrence got the nod over Tua, which is mildly interesting, uh, seeing as Tua was runner-up in the Heisman last year. Uh, and I think that's kind of a carryover from the arse-whooping that Clemson handed out in the national championship game. Uh, around that, there's there's not a whole heap more. There's a, there's a couple that we probably didn't mention in uh, Paulson Adebo at Stanford, uh, a cornerback who was named to the first team uh, preseason side, as well as uh, Andre Sisko at Syracuse. So a couple of defensive backs who, who we haven't given a bit of love to. And also I would like to make mention of Here we go. the second team punter, uh, James Smith from you Cincinnati. Are, so an Aussie boy. You are rock hard looking, reading James Smith, junior Cincinnati at the punter position, aren't you? Well, it's it's quite an achievement really for, for an Aussie to make it onto the All-American team. So... It'd be good if there was a little asterisk next to his name or something to indicate that he wasn't actually American. 
I think we should we should be lobbying. <laughs> no, you, for you're that. back on this. You're banging the drum for this again, aren't you? The, the not so all American, all American team. Something like that. I think this is something we could get introduced into the uh, American culture. Okay. Interesting. Well, Paddy Fisher's probably Irish as well, and he's a linebacker from Northwestern, but he gets named there also. So, yeah, again, no real great surprises in terms of the All-American teams. So we won't spend too much time there. I always think preseason All-Americans are often accurate in terms of who the talented players are, but will they finish off being the All-American teams? There is about zero chance of that occurring. So let's move on to our very first game preview of season 2019. And that is between the Arizona Wildcats at, and they are heading to Hawaii to play the Rainbow Warriors. Arizona start off as reasonable favorites. This isn't necessarily an easy trip to from Arizona, you know, halfway across the Pacific to head to Hawaii. What are your thoughts on the chance of the Rainbow Warriors pulling an upset here? Or are Arizona just going to cruise? It's it's certainly a difficult road trip out to uh, Hawaii. I mean, we kind of talk about it in Australia here of having to go out west and stuff like this. I mean, you are really traveling overseas to get out there. So well done, I know they've, they've probably... Geography <laughs> they've got an idiot. Well, we may have some Americans out there and no offense to any of our loyal oh, American God. listeners, but geography certainly is not your strong point, at least from my uh, experience with some of the lovely folk that I got to spend my time with while stateside. But <laughs> you can't drive it is, to it Hawaii is, a daunting, is what you're saying. Exactly right. And kangaroos can't hop there. <laughs> it is a daunting task to come uh, and travel out there because you do need to navigate the whole uh, road trip and Hawaii this year are going to be a legit side. They're, they're, I rate their chances in the Mountain West. So Arizona will not be underprepared because they're going to know that they're coming up against a, a very decent football team, at least on the offensive side of the ball. So Hawaii uh, are returning one of the – they're bringing back a, a group that has got more experience than most at the college football level. I think they have something like 18 guys with starting experience Correct, yeah. coming back this year, yep. which is a significant amount. And that's headlined by Cole McDonald, their quarterback. So he had a really, really good last year last year. He put up some really good numbers. And I think another year in the offense, you're going to start to see that Colt Brennan style uh, passing numbers where he could even look at, you know, four and a half thousand plus passing yards. Oh, wow. That's some big numbers. I mean, they do under Nick Rolovich run that run and shoot offense and they will score plenty of points. And I think they're going to have to uh, this particular outing and certainly put a lot of pressure on that Wildcat defense. And we, I think this is the big difference between the two teams is we know what Hawaii are. We know they're that run and shoot. We know their defense is a little bit limited. And that was certainly the reason for their losses last season. It wasn't the their ability to score. They've always had that. But can they stop teams enough? And there's probably two things that go in Hawaii's favor at the moment. And the firstly is generally speaking, uh, offenses get out of the gates a little bit slow. Defenses always come out on top. 
Uh, preseason defense is always generally dominant. I don't exactly know why that is. I guess they can just trust their eyes, run and chase the ball uh, rather than offensively, you've got to get your timing right. Uh, you've got to get all your verbiage right. Everyone's got to get on the same page. All those sorts of things take a little bit more time to come along. So maybe if Hawaii is a little bit down on defense, possibly they can, uh, sorry, a little bit down normally throughout the season on defense, maybe early on. They've just got that little bit of a fraction of a leg up uh, to allow them to maybe close that gap a fraction. I think the other big issue is we don't really know what Arizona are. We, we're making the assumption that Khalil Tate at quarterback is going to come back and be better and he's and he's recovered from that injury and he's going to do what he did when he kind of took the college football world by storm and became that true dual threat absolute weapon that could put up 400 yards in a game both through the air and on the ground as well but that offense has got a lot to prove this year and I think that will be the biggest challenge for this Arizona team we know they're going to probably win up front on the offensive and defensive lines but can they get on track? Can Kevin, uh, Kevin Sumlin and this offense get on track enough to allow that offense to really dominate the game? Yeah, I mean, you're right. Khalil Tate is the the big wild card in this matchup. Uh, are we going to get to see that 20, 2017 version of Khalil Tate where he passed for over 1,500 yards and ran for over 1,400 yards? Or is it going to be more like last year where he threw for over 2,500 yards but was only able to account for 224 yards on the season all of last year. I think he had that in more than a game in 2017. Yeah. So I, I don't know which of those we're going to see. It was certainly the 2017 version that was more dynamic, more scary from a defensive side of the ball. But now we've got Kevin Sumlin in. He was the man behind the 2018 version of Tate. For me, it's probably going to be more along that line. I know we talk about his injuries, but maybe it's more what was schemed up for him and, and what we should expect. Having said that, you know, Kevin Sumlin did some good stuff with Johnny Football at A&M, uh, Kellen Mond as well. Absolutely. Initially, I mean, you know, he's, he's had those dual threat type quarterbacks in the past. He's a good football coach, and that was why it was surprising last year that he was not able to get anything out of Khalil Tate. Okay, so what is your prediction there? Arizona are getting 11 points. Uh, what do you think is going to happen, and uh, is is Khalil Tate going to get back on track? I think they will look to establish the run. So the combination of Khalil Tate and JJ Taylor are probably two of the better running threats as a combo in all of college football. I mean, they would be top five as a running threat, the two of them. So that's what they're going to go. They're, they're going to work hard and Hawaii can struggle to, uh, to stop the run. So I have grave concerns for the Rainbow Warriors there, but at the same time, I like their ability to keep pace and score. So I won't, I won't go throwing out my predictions yet because we are going on the punt later, so I don't want to spoil that because okay. everyone's on the edge of their seat for that. <laughs> but I see things playing out that way where Arizona are really going to try and establish a physical smash-mouth game and Hawaii are just going to be throwing haymakers of their own down the field on the other side of the ball. It's one to definitely tune into. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it should be hopefully a bit of an offensive slugfest, and there should be points. 
uh, as well and look to potentially, oh, we'll talk about more about the punt, but look to take the over on that one. Uh, okay, that is a little bit of a taster, an entree, uh, an appetizer, if you will, for the big week zero game between Florida and Miami. Now, without giving this too much of a preamble, this is a massive, massive game. Uh, all the 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 big th- what's called the big three in the state of Florida, so Florida, Miami, and Florida State will all play each other this year. That doesn't happen every year, and the winner historically went on to have some sort of role in the national championship conversation. Uh, that certainly hasn't been the case recently at all, but the bragging rights in Florida are certainly a real thing. Now, in terms of two questions for you in terms of this game, what does Florida have to do to warrant the preseason hype they're getting? Uh, you know, they are well up there in the AP poll, uh, sitting at number eight. And on the other side of the football, what does Miami need to do for you to consider them a real threat in the coastal of the ACC? Well, I think those are fairly simple ones. I mean, Florida simply has to win this football game. For them to be ranked as highly as they are, to have finished off last season as well as they did, uh, the, to go 10-3 and three on the year and to be bringing back a whole heap of talent, they need to win this game if they're going to be seriously considered in the SEC. Uh, on, the, on the other side of the ball, Miami, I, I think this is a, a pretty good spot for Manny Diaz to step into in that he doesn't have that pressure. It, I mean... Sure, there are expectations for him to win, but if they don't, I don't think it's going to be potentially as rabid as that fan base can get, at at least early. I think there's going to be a little bit of wiggle room for uh, them to grow and develop in that. And playing with that freedom could help. Having, having that off the back of not all that expectation, thinking, yeah, we are the underdogs here, we're giving up a touchdown... Let's let's prove it. Let's fucking show these guys. I think we'll really play into that Miami ethos. So I, I like that. And if they are able to get that win, then they automatically vault into a conversation of, is this a top 15 team? Are they a real threat to Florida, do you think? Uh, I Looking on paper, I struggle to see it uh, in this early one. And it starts at that quarterback position. So the fact that... Miami don't have an entrenched starter coming in really makes it difficult for me to have any confidence that they can come up against what is a a relatively elite defense with eight guys returning and have any form of success. I mean, to see that would be truly special and it's probably... You're, you're, you're asking a bit much for someone to step into a big game like this. That's why you kind of like to schedule a bit of a cupcake game early on, especially when you're blooding a new quarterback. Let them get the feel of it, get the rhythm. I mean, this is an 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid who's going to be stepping in front of 60,000, 70,000 people that they're going to have there. That's a tough gig. And it doesn't take much for that to get a little bit too much for him. I think anyways. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. Obviously, I've done a lot of reading. I've watched a lot of film on Florida and I guess it's hard to not be to not be biased in a way and, and try and find any reason you can to give you an excuse to feel hopeful. And I think the Canes will feel that. They'll feel like they've got a good chance. 
Um, I don't think they're going to get blown out of the water in any position. There's a couple of real danger points for both teams. I think both offensive lines, like we've kind of been saying for the last two years, actually, offensive lines in college football, certainly good ones, are hard to come by. And, you know, looking at the top, yeah, great. You'll get teams like Michigan. You'll get teams like Oregon that churn out uh, offensive lines like they are going to this year. But it's certainly not going to be consistent. You could look at the Oregon line in two years and it could be an absolute mess. So... It's not an easy position to feel comfortable in and and I think both of those units are either young, inexperienced. I mean, I know the Florida offensive line only has 22 starts across all five players and and that is uh, would be a concern for them. Uh, and, and like you said, I think the quarterback position is a massive, massive area. Felipe Franks can literally flick a ball about 60 yards if he wants to. But he's not accurate on the deep ball. He's not accurate in the intermediate passing game. He struggles with pressure in his face. So it's going to be a a big job for that young-ish Miami defensive front to be able to put pressure on him and make him uh, uncomfortable and, you know, be be rolling out of that pocket and make him make uh, passes on the move. However, he's a fantastic runner of the ball. He's not super quick, but he's 6'6 and a big dude. He's hard to bring down. Florida want to spread their spread the field and then actually kind of run power spread. So they will spread the field with wide receivers, but run a lot and give a lot of misdirection, a lot of eye candy, a lot of motion, uh, a lot of counter game, things like that to keep you off balance. And you're going to rely on defense uh, having really good eye discipline, trusting what they see, and then going and making a play. And and again, that probably plays into Miami's strength a little bit. They've got three senior linebackers that have started every game of their college careers. So probably Miami's strength lines up against uh, Florida's strength in that particular part of the game. On the other side of the ball, like you said, yeah. Jaron Williams going up against uh, CJ Henderson and a very good Florida defensive backfield. But I don't think their defensive line is that great either. So I think there's strengths and weaknesses on both teams. I don't see Florida as a top eight team. I think they've got too many gaps. Uh, It'll be really, really interesting to see how this one goes. And I don't know where I sit. I feel like with the emotion of the game, uh, the fact that it's week one, it's a big Florida rivalry, special teams turnovers and negative plays will make a massive, massive impact on the game. And whichever team can either create those or limit those on the other side will probably come out on top and give themselves a chance. Yeah, I was going to echo your sentiment in that uh, Florida's strength definitely plays into Miami's. I think Miami's defensive front seven is really good, really, really good on the national landscape. I'm a bit worried about the defensive backfield, but that can kind of be masked if you're getting that pressure. And they're certainly going to have an opportunity to do that against an inexperienced front. So that is a huge matchup. If Florida are able to stand tough in the likes of that, then I think Felipe Franks will be able to pick them apart Absolutely. and you will see that development. Yep. But if not, then yeah, you're right, game on. And and that's really where this game could potentially be won and lost. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm nervous. I've been thinking about it a lot and uh, it, it, it should be a really good one. The other thing that I'm really excited to see is this Dan Enos uh, offense. I mean, if, this, if we were going in with the Mark Richt, 
experiment version of what we call offense, uh, I would be peaking and I'd be really, really nervous. And there was a lot of bravado around the Miami LSU game last year. And that absolutely fizzled hard from a Miami standpoint. And LSU just kind of did what they wanted to. But I think this offense is going to be a lot, lot better. And and the Miami tight ends are going to get their opportunities uh, with Mallory and Brevin Jordan you know, it's really hard to match up on tight ends. And if you've got two of them, it allows you to be really, really flexible. And that's a, a Dan Enos staple is that they're going to run a lot of probably two tight end sets, but not in the most traditional ways. They're going to look like they're going to run power football, but then they'll spread you out. Um, and if you want to bring in yep. that nickel back, sweet, you've got a cornerback on a giant tight end. If you want to bring linebackers in, well, good luck covering them down the field. So, you know, there should it should be a really interesting chess match. And not only that, but you've got the coaching chess match as well with Dan Mullen and uh, Manny Diaz both knowing each other really, really well from previous coaching stopovers. They've even coached together. Um, and I don't know. I, I, I'm nervous. I, I'm leaning towards a, a really close game. I think the Canes will have an opportunity to win it. Whether they do or not, I'm not entirely sure. Yep, no, I, I will cover off on my prediction as we get into the yep. on the punt section. Very cagey about uh, your predictions here, Will. So, uh, yeah, Absolutely. I mean, well, I, I'm trying to build some suspense for our listeners out there. I know they've been waiting to months lose and money months to get their money back to get their money back. <laughs> Dude, you got more chance playing like Keno or something. Don't be selling this to these people, all right? I, I know that as soon as this episode drops, people are going to fast forward to the end of it because that's where the, the segment is and then they're going to go get their hard-earned and put it on before the markets start to shift because there's so much movement of people getting behind You it. sound like, I mean, I don't want to say like a gambling addict, but certainly some form of addict that's trying to like convince me to jump back into this shitty situation with you, which I'm going to, obviously, but I like spending your money. I'm not trying to convince you. I'm just telling, like, this is the feedback I get from the people. <laughs> what? Stop losing my money? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> okay. All right, let's move on. Um, please do, of course, hit us up on Instagram and on Twitter about any of your thoughts on either of these two games. Um and, and join us on Sunday morning as well. Uh, we've got the Miami-Florida game. It kicks off at 8, the Arizona-Hawaii game. Although the entree comes, you know, we talked about that being a bit of an entree. It actually happens after the main course. I was going to comment that. I think it's more of a dessert, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. You, you run with whatever analogy you like. Sorry, sorry. Um, so, and then, yeah, 10.30 for Arizona and Hawaii. Yeah, I might have to run a uh, a live tweet uh, series on your reactions to the game. I think that people would definitely be interested in that. Yeah, I mean, I I I've, I probably have not and I have not anticipated a game as keenly as what I have this one. Uh, probably almost even the Crows Richmond Grand Final, which obviously flopped hard from a, a an Adelaide Crows perspective, but even that game I didn't care about as much as I care about this one so it's interesting because I certainly cared about you know the Crows when I was younger but apparently my Miami fandom has come to new heights 
you're certainly either going to be in ecstasy or agony, and whichever one it is, I'm sure it's going to make for good reading for our listeners. Oh, it won't. I think the other issue being a Miami fan is, or any college football fan, you do have hope at the start of the year and you believe that this is going to be your year, especially when you've got a new coach, new offensive coordinator. This is going to be it. And uh, you want to be taken seriously. And, um, you know, hopefully the Canes, that will happen. Well, and for me personally. But also, you know, Florida fans, on the other hand, are probably echoing the same sentiment going, you know what, we are a top eight team. We are good enough. Uh, we do have a strong running game. We've got an elite defense. And Felipe Franks has, has come a long way in that intermediate passing game. And he can go on and become that really, really good quarterback. So, Anyway, I'm just ready okay. for it to be here. Let's push on, shall we? Let's talk a championship draft. Now, last year we picked uh, t- uh, two teams each, and we could oh two, two teams or four teams. I can't even remember anymore. Uh, and four we teams, flipped mate. them in and out on a weekly basis. Now you've got a new structure this year, uh, so you're gonna have to come up with new structures every year that we run this podcast. But talk us through it, and talk me through what I need to do to beat you again in this particular format. Yes, okay. So not happy with how last year played out, mainly because I uh, lost at the end of the year. So I've decided we're going to shake things up with the championship draft. We're, we're continually adapting things here so we can deliver you listeners uh, some fresh, a fresh take on things. So this year's championship draft is going to be a, a little different. Uh, and, I, and I'll take you through the rules now. So the first change that we have is that I'm taking Alabama and Clemson off the board and I'm giving them to the listeners. So listeners out there, you guys get Clemson, Alabama. We're not interested in them. Well, we are. Uh, we're not going to be talking about them. It's a we're not going to be rooting for them. Oh, okay. In, in our championship draft segment, we're, gonna, we're going to be looking at other teams outside of those two. And that probably speaks to how highly we regard them. <laughs> yeah. uh, for, on from that, last year we just selected four teams, so we just went pick for pick. This year we're only we're going to start with three teams each, uh, and there is a caveat to that. So uh, when we pick, we will pick one from the top ten, one ranked uh, eleven to twenty-five, and one who is unranked. And this is all based off of the AP poll at the moment. So we'll have a, a bit of a spattering across across the rankings rather than just essentially the top eight like we had last year. Uh, and then as the year goes, rather than shifting teams in and out, I think we're just going to build to our stable. So we're just going to build up a bevy of teams around us that we think can win it. Uh, and in terms of how we get to choose what ranked, we're going to base it off of Hawaii's weekly results. <laughs> so stick with me here. When Hawaii play, if they score 40 or more points, then we get to pick a top 10 team. <laughs> if, if they score between 21 and 40 points, then we go somewhere that's ranked 11 to 25. And if they get held to under three touchdowns, then we can only pick an unranked team. Jeez. So because they are Australia's team, they are the team for this show, we are tying ourselves to Hawaii in how this goes throughout the year. Now you all clear with that, my friend? I am, but you can tell by my um, reaction there that I had no idea that this Hawaii thing was coming, and I'm a little concerned because Hawaii does have a little bit of a murderer's row in terms of uh, scheduling this year. They play, I believe, 13 games, which is more than most, 
Starter Arizona, they'll probably score some points there. Oregon State, but then they go to Washington. Central Arkansas, they'll put up points. At Nevada, at Boise State, Air Force, New Mexico, Fresno State, San Jose State, UNLV, San Diego State Army. Gee, they're out of conference. I guess it's just stiff. I'm nervous. It talks to how much faith I have in the boys uh, from the Aloha State. Okay. We're, we're putting I'm a lot of uh, our faith in uh, Cole McDonald, or maybe we just end up with a whole bunch of teams that aren't in the top 10. The other issue with that, <laughs> though, is the fact that I don't think there's ever been a college football semifinalist that's come from outside the top 10 to start the season. Really? Is that is that a hard fact? I, oh, it's not a hard fact. fact. I'm going to call it a soft fact. I'm going to call it kind of the blood flow to your genitalia thinking about James Smith at Cincinnati. That's kind of my measuring stick. That, that would be a hard fact. <laughs> that would be a hard fact. <laughs> okay, let's move this along. Yep. I'm picking first this year because you selected first and selected correctly last year in your selection of Clemson. So with Clemson and Alabama off the board, I am going to select Georgia Ugh. as my number one team into the stable. I'm shocked. So, Welcome aboard. So why Georgia? Uh, I've picked them because I think they're the third best team in the nation. Good. At the moment. Really solid. I, I really solid that, answer. Really that, real depth of analysis. That's what the listeners are after. They are the only team. Well, they're one of few teams that can match it from a talent standpoint with Alabama and Clemson. And I think that they have the right pieces. Uh, they've got Jake Fromm, who's uh, an exceptional quarterback along with a really good running back in DeAndre Swift and then just studs all over the field. So I think that they've been super close to getting over the top of Alabama and I would like to at least have, you know, rights to that opportunity because it could happen this year. Okay. Well, with my first pick, I mean, the natural progression is you then take the number four team in the country preseason, which would be Oklahoma. But I'm not going to do that because I don't think Oklahoma wins the Big 12. So I'm going to take number seven, Michigan. Now, I believe that Michigan are going to win the Big 10. Uh, And if that's the case, they will play a pretty decent schedule. I believe they beat Ohio State this year, who are blooding a new quarterback. They get them at home. Obviously, they've still got to win games against Penn State and Michigan State as well. I understand that. Uh, But I think that they go and win the Big Ten. And with that, they will make the semifinal. Okay, so now we are snake drafting this. So for our 11 to 25, it'll be you up first. Okay, so 11 to 25 doesn't look real pretty, actually. Uh, We've got Oregon 11, A&M at 12, Washington, Utah, Penn State, Auburn, UCF, and Michigan State. Now, there's only one team there that I have predicted to win a conference, And that would be Oregon. So I believe it makes sense for me to take number 11, Oregon, uh, as I believe they're going to win the Pac-12 North. I believe they're going to win the Pac-12. And so I will take them to line up against Michigan or alongside Michigan. So you you give me a hard time for picking the three team and then you pick the 11? Well, 
Yeah, there's a big bit of a difference. No, that's between- fine. I'm, I'm just I'm just throwing that out there that, <laughs> okay. that that's what's happened, and I mean that's I'm a little bit dirty there because I'm- I probably would have selected Oregon. <laughs> uh, that, that would have been my pick in this spot, but on the back of that, uh, I'm going to go to a coach that I trust uh, probably more than any other coach, and that's Chris Peterson. Yeah. So I am. I'm not very big on Washington this year just because of the turnover that they have on the defensive side. But if there is a mastermind who can get the job done, it is Chris Peterson. And he has quietly built himself quite a powerful program at Washington. They are recruiting uh, really well. And I will grab them. So currently ranked in at 13 as, as my pick there. Okay, I mean that would probably be where I would go next as well. Although, did you have any temptation to take Utah, who appear to be the class in the South? Uh, I did certainly. I, I rate Utah's chances this year. I think they're a, a good show to make it into the, a, a fairly open Pac-12. I think Utah and Oregon are the standouts. Washington are, are kind of behind them. It's just I I have that faith in Chris Peterson, and I think. If he can get things going, I, I could be surprised and they could be the team to make it uh, and, and then truly challenge as well. So I'm not only looking for someone who could win the their conference, which I think Utah definitely could. I'm thinking a team that you know has potential to win it all and, and take out the championship because that's ultimately what we're getting after here. Okay, interesting. There's also some interesting teams down the bottom end uh, into the 20s that I like, actually like the look of in terms of what we're trying to do here more than I do some of the teams that are, f- are floating around that kind of 14, 15, 16 position. So uh, I'll definitely be keeping an eye on a few of those. So the third team. Yeah. So th- this will be me picking first back Correct. to me. Uh, similar, similar vein to what I was just mentioning around. I'm looking for teams that could potentially win it all. I'm going to take USC. Whoa. So I'm, only receiving the one vote in the non-ranked section. Not a lot of love for USC this year, which is kind of unusual because they're one of the more loved teams from the media all time, I would say. Uh, I am going to back them in because they do still have a lot of athletes on that team who can play the football. They have JT Daniels, who probably had a bit much thrown at him last year as a true freshman who will take a step forward or should take a step forward and, and could still be a very, very good football player. And Clay Helton is literally fighting for his job. So if that doesn't motivate you, I don't know what will. Um, I'm I'm going to grab them as my smoky unranked. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about this fighting for your job thing. I do you remember a uh, – I'm going to use another strange analogy here, but there was a, a race car driver here uh, who used to drive supercars called Paul Romano. Do you remember him at I know all? Peter Brock. Hey? I know Peter Brock. I mean, obviously, you know a lot about cars. You're a big car guy. You like petrol and tires and things. I have an electric car. <laughs> that, that is true. <laughs> Anyway, Paul Romano was fighting for his life every race. But unfortunately, the style that he raced in and the vehicle that he had just didn't work to the point where he either crashed into someone or crashed himself to the point where he had to retire from more races than he finished. 
my point is is that USC are the Paul Romano of college football. And probably actually a better analogy is that Clay Helton is the Paul Romano of, of college football. And the reality is is that Clay Helton is trying to continue to run his system that we know doesn't work. And that will be his downfall. So I'm saying he's fired by the bye week. So that was actually fairly insightful there, mate. I like that. Yeah, there you go. Not just a ugly face on a radio. Anyway, it must be my last pick. Now, I don't know where to go with this. Honestly, who realistically has a chance to jump up uh, and and compete for a national championship outside of you know those teams already ranked? The next people collecting votes, you've got Missouri led by Kelly Bryant in the SEC, but I don't see that happening. Army going to run the triple option. They could end up ranked at the end of the year, but they don't play in a Power 5 conference, so they're not going to be there. Mississippi State, massive amounts of turnover on the defensive side, but Joe Moorhead does some really good things offensively. You've got Northwestern, who could do some damage in the West, in the Big Ten, but that would be saying that they would then go and beat... Uh, Michigan, not only that, they have got a tough schedule this year. You've got TCU, who should be good, but I see Texas taking the Big 12. Virginia, Boise State, Cincinnati, your boys, South Carolina. I just don't think there's anyone in that group that I can really trust to actually make a fist of even winning their division. There is one team, however. So you're going to pass? Hey? So you're going to pass? Is that what you're telling us? I'm not going to pass. And this sounds like a massive homer pick, and I don't want to talk about the Canes too much, but the only unranked team that I believe could even win their division would be Florida. Maybe Northwestern, TCU could be around the mark, but they're not going to get nationally ranked. So I can see Miami winning the Coastal. Sorry? I think when we play this back, you're going to hear yourself say Florida there. Where? Oh, did I say Florida? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I meant Miami of Florida, just so that we are clear that I'm not talking about Miami, Ohio. Uh, okay. But I'm going to take the Canes, and I, I'm i not particularly happy with it, to be honest. Uh, but I think that they're going to be the best of what's left there. No doubt someone will pop up that will be solid, and we will continue to pull some grossly unranked teams but yeah, that's not a bad pick. I mean, if they if they have a win this weekend, then they will have a significant bump in the rankings, and that's essentially what you're looking for, for from this grouping. To recap things here, I have grabbed Georgia, Washington, and USC, and I've got Michigan, the Ducks. What did you just say? USC, USC West. Uh, I've got Michigan, the Ducks, and the Canes. So we will see how they go and how they play out throughout the year. How are you feeling about your first three picks there, William? Yeah, I mean, I feel good about Georgia. The other two I have a lot less hope in. So let's hope that our Rainbow Warriors can really run up some decent scores so we can get a few more of those top 10 teams, eh? Okay. I like this setup by you, though. I really like the system. I think you've got a lot of different elements, but they tie together nicely. So well done by you. Thank you, mate. Appreciate that. Now, you you must be getting a bit of a nervous sweat. You're 
Pooh Cleaver must be starting to really pucker at the moment. It is your time to shine as we head on the punt for the first time in season 2019 with Will. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Here we go, baby. We're back. We are on. We have changed our entrance. We're all about it here. Positive vibes. I'm feeling good. I'm up and about. We are back on the punt. What do you think, mate? You like that? Uh, Some of you better work. You're actually on a bit of a heater here at the moment tonight. So well done, you. And it's going to ride into the weekend and we are going to back some winners here. So I am here to bring all you listeners out there some catch. And as we uh, insinuated at the start of the year, I, I often start hot and then flame out. This year, I'm going to start hotter and then just keep keep burning bright. So really excited. This is it. Two games to pick from this week. So how, how can I go wrong? Piece of cake. <laughs> I've can. been able to... You can pick it all wrong. No, because I've been able to hone in all my analysis on just two matchups, and I, I know exactly where I need to go to, to win us all some money. So, with that said, the first one, uh, well, actually, I'll, I'll recap on our listeners the way that this works here. We, we bet units, so a unit can be whatever you choose to be. So, if you want to play along at home and you have a small or large budget, you can just match it to the units, and then we can measure appropriately as to how well we're doing. So, a unit could be $10, a unit could be $100. Just depends uh, what your budget looks like. But and for what mine, is your we're just budget talking look like units this year? here. I'm just afraid the missus might be listening into this on the off chance that she does. Incredibly unlikely. But if she does, I don't really want to disclose that. <laughs> so let's start things out and say we're whacking five units on game one, Arizona and Hawaii. And in this one, I'm placing my five units on Hawaii plus 11. Now, really good. Why? Really good. Why am I doing this? You ask. I'm not well, asking, but yeah, carry on. The the reason is not just because I have a big gambling hard on for Hawaii. It's not that. The Rainbow Warriors are going to be a good team this year, but they also have some really good trending data going their way. So if we look at Hawaii. In their last five games played in the month of August, they've gone five and zero against the spread. That looks juicy. <laughs> in their last 10 games against the Pac-12, they've gone eight and 10 against the spread. That's oh, not, that's loving not good. that. Eight and 10. Uh, sorry, eight and two. Okay. You're right. Eight better. and 10 would not be good. That's, eight and two. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if we look at their opponents, Arizona, in their last 21 road games, they've gone five and 16 against the spread. Whoa. That's terrible. That tells me that team does not travel very well. And to cap things off, in their last nine games that have been played on field turf, which is what they have at Aloha Stadium there, they've gone one and eight against the spread. This is free money. All of this data, all of this data is telling me that Hawaii will at the very least keep it close. And we're getting 11 points. Take that all day, five units on Hawaii. Wow, that is some good research because I was going to take Hawaii to cover that up easily 
and you've just beat me to the punch, but with a far more in-depth uh, analysis and research than I could have possibly provided. So, William, you this this heater of yours has started uh, with a plum. So, well done. Okay, so moving on to the other game, this is probably where you're going to phase out a little bit. You're probably going to drop off interest. My other five units are going on Florida and I'm taking the negative seven and a half. I think Florida are going to win by more than a touchdown. Now, hear me out. Going on from what I said earlier, Miami have a freshman quarterback in Jaron Williams coming up. They have a freshman left tackle in Zion Nelson and a redshirt freshman right tackle in John Campbell. Look at you. That is, you are doing That is a, a recipe for disaster against a defense on the Florida side that return eight starters that have senior linebacker David Reese, who's probably one of the best linebackers in the SEC, as well as cornerback uh, CJ Is he? Oh, well, that'll help. Uh, And CJ Henderson at corner, who is getting all preseason All-American love. So this is not the game you want to be walking into as a freshman. I think that whilst I really rate uh, Miami's defensive front seven, I think offensively, they didn't show a lot last year. And whilst things have changed, there are going to be growing pains. And growing pains against a very good experienced defense is not what you want to have. At the same time, I don't have a huge amount of faith in Florida's offense and Felipe Franks. But last year, he put up solid numbers. He went for 2,500 yards. He had 24 touchdowns. But most importantly, he only had the six picks. So he understands the importance of not turning it over. And I think that's going to be massive here. They'll be able to lean on LaMichael Piran, who's a really, really good running back that they've got coming back. And I see them winning by around two touchdowns. So that's why I'm going with Florida in this one. Uh, I am going to disagree with a, with a few different perspectives. I think the Canes probably uh, cover. And there's a couple of points you brought up. Uh, the Yes, the Canes are starting two defensive tackles, uh, but they're quite solid in the middle at the moment. And uh, sorry, offensive tackles. I apologize for the Canes are going to start on the outside of Zion Nelson and John Campbell as well. Whilst that is an issue... Florida don't return any defensive ends that are particularly threatening. They return Jabari Zaniga, and he has he had six and a half sacks last year, but I think two and a half to three of those were against uh, FCS teams, or certainly not Power Five teams. Uh, and and he's a liability in the run game. Now they're going to flip in and out of different fronts. They're going to run some odd fronts, some even front. They'll they'll do a lot of that eagle looking stuff where they actually squeeze down and and run a lot of shaded fronts and things like that. But he actually does his best work from the interior defensive line on pass rushing downs. But he's not going to cause a lot of havoc on the ends. So I actually don't really rate the defensive ends for Florida. Uh, whilst it, it is nervous playing a true freshman quarterback, uh, this was a quarterback that actually outplayed Trevor Lawrence uh, in the Elite 11 competition. Uh, so he's, Jaron Williams is a guy who can 
throw the ball with accuracy and touch that the Canes haven't had for a while and certainly someone who is relevant on a national scale. And since Jordan Leave Scarlett... pads. Sorry? Leave and wear pads in the Elite 11? Uh, easy with that. They wear those helmets that they don't strap up, but yeah. Um, okay. And the other one is Jordan. You mentioned the running game. They've got Piran there in the backfield, but he is generally more of that power back style. They don't have Jordan Scarlett, uh, who was a little bit more of a dynamic runner, certainly more explosive through the hole. And... And the last thing you mentioned, I think you said a defense that wasn't that great last year. I think they, they led the nation in tackles for a loss, which is not where Felipe Franks wants to live. He doesn't want to live in a world where he's at second and eight, second and 10, second and 11. If Florida can stay on schedule, if they can get to second and six, second and five, second and four, they'll win the game. If they can protect well enough and give uh, Felipe Franks time in the pocket and he's got clean space around him and he can step into his throws, Florida will win the game. If Jaron Williams turns the ball over, Florida will win the game. I've got no doubt about that. Florida are a good football team. I just think a lot of those points that young William here brought up are refutable, rebuttable, and uh, I think the Canes actually cover that seven points. It'll be a highly emotional game. Uh, There's a lot about the Florida offense, uh, sorry, the the Miami offense that Florida haven't seen before. Dan Mullen will have some new wrinkles to his, his offense, of course, but at least there is some clean film on that. So you've got the over under of Miami's offense, what, 17 points over under? Uh, I think it'll be a low-scoring game. I could see something like 24-21 Canes or even 21-17, something like that. Both defenses appear to be the strength for both teams. Yes, I I struggled to see Miami scoring over two touchdowns and I believe Florida will get a little bit more than that. Okay, interesting. All right. Well, there is an opportunity for you to win some money in the Arizona-Hawaii game and lose some money in the Florida-Miami game. So do with that what you will. But a quick recap there, William. So five units we have on Hawaii plus 11 and five units on Florida at minus seven and a half. Okay, there you go. Uh, And that effectively brings us to the end of our first preview episode, week zero preview. Uh, As always, please do hit us up uh, at CFB Down Under on Twitter and on Instagram. Make sure you do hit us up on the socials, get in touch, uh, tell all your friends about us. Let's really drive this thing this year. Uh, We've got a few other bits and pieces coming up that we would really love to get involved. So a few people we would like to get involved uh, with the podcast as well. So it's a really good opportunity to let a lot of people know about this particular medium and allow more and more Aussies to get a bigger and better foothold in the college football game over in the United States of America. Lastly, we are going to spend the weekend together, Will, I hope. Yes. Now, where are we doing this, by the way, and what do I need to bring uh, I've got a bigger TV, so come up to me and then we'll sort things out. Who knows? We'll have a bit of a cook-up. bit of a cook-up? All right. I might bring some like – we might sort some like queso or something, do a little bit of dip. Yeah, that'd be all right. We'll probably have a couple of beers uh, at 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning as well. Um, but please, 
On behalf of us here, do have a good rest of your week. Enjoy week zero of college football. We will see you on the other side for a discussion, a breakdown, and a review of all things college football in week zero. On behalf of that guy in the Adelaide Hills, on behalf of myself on the plains of Adelaide, my name is Aaron, that is Will, and we will see you next time.